You know what hurts my heart the most is my kids went to school right next door to like they went to St. Louis and I lived in the duplex right next door and I didn't even think about my kids at all. Them probably being at school looking over. Yeah, no, I never thought of that at all. It's just you just become careless. It's really the saddest thing in the world. Substance use. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. And then we'll be in here and we won't start it and then we're like, oh. <laughs> he's going to be like, we weren't recording. Uh, hey, my name is Poncho and welcome to an OCJ podcast from darkness to life. Great to see some uh, people that I haven't seen, some of the OCJ crew. Amber. Hey, Poncho. Hey, Amber. How you feeling? How you really feeling? This is how we start every episode. Uh, I'm I'm good today. I'm happy to be here. Happy to hear Ashley's story. So I would I, say yeah. I had like a week of highs and lows. My daughter got her license. Stresses me out. <gasps> That's I a know. high and low right there, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then we're trying to find her a car and she was, she's a real jerk. And then I had a freak out and then I felt like a jerk. So we've rode like a, a real roller coaster in our house it's, of emotions but, throughout the week. But haven't you noticed it's 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 those kind of uh, roller coasters that at the end of the day make you even closer? You know, when you can look back and go, hey, remember that time when you were looking for a car and I didn't want you to get a car and then we had a little thing and now we're all good again. Do you find <laughs> that it brings you closer? Yes. Yeah? I, I think I learn a lot. Like, I'm, I can be quick to react and... I think that's, I'm always learning in that regards. Kids, like kids can push your button so quickly too, right? And, oh, they're pros at that. Oh yeah. And then I have to, it was funny because I was like, you know what? I don't think that I handled that very well. And then I actually had to apologize to her because I was, <laughs> I was real grouchy. Well, no, it. it's because yeah. you're a good person and but, yeah. you know, we're always our own worst critic. We're always hardest on ourselves, whether we're talking family yeah. or kids or in this case, mental health. Ryan, welcome back. Um, Today's a big day for you. Yeah. Today is a big day. Today's my birthday. T- yeah. Your, your birthday birthday or a different kind of birthday? Uh, today is my birthday birthday, but I had my seven year clean birthday on the 11th. So Congrat- it's a, it's congratulations, a man. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's yeah. a big week on my, my metabolism. <laughs> is it? Oh yeah. I get a lot of eating and a lot of sweets this week. Well, now you're getting older, man. So that's going to slow down. So <laughs> there, that's, that's my birthday present to you. How, how are you feeling today? Uh, I feel pretty good. I feel, uh, and I know when I say pretty good, that doesn't mean shit anymore, but, uh, I, I feel better today than I have in a couple of weeks. I had COVID a few weeks ago. I had fake COVID back in January. I was tested positive, false positive, then, uh, you know, all these things. So I didn't know what, what it's, was happening. It's madness. You know, it's probably one of the few tests where negative, you want to get a negative, Right. You get a negative on a math test. You don't want that. You want to get a negative on a, a PCR test. It's good. And then you got a false double positive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know if I was coming or going. I <laughs> I don't know if I'm coming or going right now talking with you. about all these. So it's, it's nice to see you and uh, welcome to our welcome to the OCJ from Darkness to Life podcast. Ashley, thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your day to be here. One of the first things you said to me is that you've listened to a few podcasts and that you weren't really sure of what today was all about. I hope this makes you feel better. 
Um, we don't know what this is going to be about either. And that's Perfect. one of the, that's one of the wonderful things about these podcasts, as I'm sure you've heard, uh, Amber and Ryan talk about how they're really doing. And that's how we like to start every episode. So how, how are you feeling? It's okay if you're feeling great. It's okay if you're not feeling great. I've got a little bit of a mixed feeling okay. right now. I'm feeling pretty comfortable, but at the same time, I feel a little bit nervous and that's just because I know I have to. To talk to people. <laughs> have Have you told your story before? Have you shared your story before? I've shared it at the treatment center twice. Um, last time, this may be why I'm a little nervous. I just did it on Monday, and I feel like I totally failed at it. But yeah, I, I don't know what happened Monday. I wasn't why? really feeling it. Why Why do you Why do you think you failed? I mean, we've already been talking about how we are so incredibly hard on in ourselves. I so feel why? like it was just irrelevant to what I was supposed to be saying. The words that were coming out of my mouth. Irrelevant in what you thought you were supposed to be saying. Mind you, I had my kids in the background, so they do, they do know my story, but I didn't necessarily want them to be listening to it. Maybe right. I, I, don't, I don't know what I was feeling on Monday. Yeah. Um, and how are you feeling today? I'm feeling comfortable. Um, Good. A little nervous and it's good to be nervous. <laughs> what's going to come out of my mouth? Really? It's great. Yeah. And again, likewise, it goes back to the, what we were saying a moment ago. None of us have any idea how this is going to play out. And I, th- I think that makes for some of the absolute best conversations. Uh, one of the first things I notice about you, Ashley, is, is that, uh, you have a lot of ink. <laughs> um, I've known you for what, about four minutes right now? Yes. I'm going to do something that I probably shouldn't do. And, that, and that's assume is, is your rank a part of therapy for you? I actually haven't got any tattoos since I've been clean. <laughs> I have my own tattoo machine at home. That 3d printer uh, we were talking about earlier sounded yeah. pretty juicy. Okay, so, 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 <laughs> so why no ink now that you're sober and why ink before you were sober? Oh, now I'm going to sound like a pussy, but I need to use a Numbing cream, and I'm not allowed to use that because it'll affect my drug test. So ah. <laughs> just been putting it off. <laughs> oh, so that's why. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's not necessarily any emotional attachment to it then. No. And oh. here I thought we were going to go real deep with that. <laughs> I know. You know what? That was my only question for you, Ashley. I thought that was going to lead us down into all, you know. Uh, I'm waiting big, for the right time. A whole big cornucopia of, of big moments. Once you're at a drug court. Yeah. Getting that tattoo. Actually, I just took my year birthday. Um, awesome. A couple week, uh, week ago, a couple weeks ago, I took it twice. Different fellowship. So I'm going to get my... I have a fuck you on my leg. I'm going to get that covered up with a breast cancer logo for my stepmom. Nice. And nice. I'm allowed to do that for drug court. So That's cool. <laughs> that is one thing I'll be doing. Why Why did you get a tattoo that said fuck you? I was probably up for days and I didn't know any better at the time. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why I got a few of the tattoos I got. Actually, was- I put that fuck you on me myself. <laughs> wow. Were you sober at the time? No, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, so based on that, it sounds like you, you were angry. Ah, uh, yes. I used to be a very angry person. What do you think you were angry at? What do you think you were, you were angry about? That is the time I didn't have my kids. Um, I may be justifying it. I don't know. I, it just was definitely in very heavy addiction then. So a little bit of everything. Did you realize that you were an addict? No. 
<laughs> no. Uh, that's why I love my step one. I thought I was a functioning addict, like, my entire years of addiction, really. You know, and out of the corner of my eyes, I can see Ryan and Amber nodding their head because they've been there. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they understand. And that's, you know, I, I think one of the powerful, I guess... I guess that's that's one of the things that makes OCJ so wonderful is that you're dealing with real life experience, you know, people that have gone through and people that are going through what what you're going through. What was your addiction? Everything and and all of it? I mean, if it was there to be snorted, ingested, consumed, was that you? Uh, my addiction took its stages. Obviously, I started off with like smoking weed okay. and then doing coke. I sniffed that i smoked crack um i just ended up smoking meth like that's the only way that i'd do it actually i I went to jail for a while and i did my first and only rail of meth in jail other than that i i liked to smoke it Um, so so you had to go to prison to do meth no no i had to go to prison to to sniff meth (laughs) right (laughs) my apologies (laughs) no i didn't ask you for that (laughs) yeah and then once I got off the meth, I just cross-addicted and smoked weed again. So when you were in jail and that was the first time where you sniffed meth, <laughs> the fact that you did that there. So, I, I mean, did, did being in prison help you at all? No, we, I guess I'd sniff our pills in prison, too, with my roommates. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went to Calgary, that helped. And it was just remand. I was only there for three months, but you know. But we've talked about it before, where the system that that's in place to help us get sober isn't necessarily a good system at all, is it? Do you think the system failed you? Um, when I got out of jail, I was sober for a week until I got paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that my mindset then failed me, perhaps. But actually, funny thing, because I'm in drug court right now. Um, the requirement obviously is to stay sober. I had to plead guilty to my trafficking charge. And if, if I would have got my jail time out of it, I would have went to jail and keep in mind, I only smoked weed when I, um, started drug court. But if I would have went to jail, I feel like I would have ended up doing drugs. I would have got out lost. Like I wouldn't have had my place when I got out. So I would have you would have lost everything yeah. in your life that you had worked for, that you loved, and everything that was close to you. Absolutely. So we- I feel like there, the system would have failed me. Now, was that the breaking point for you? Is that when you realized that you had come to a crossroads? Um, was that the, was that the low point for you, or did things get worse before they got better? Well, I had quit smoking meth a year, about a year before I uh, quit smoking weed. So I feel like that was my breaking point. Like when I smoked weed, I was content. Like I had my kids back. I had my house. I had everything. Like I had my life back. So like I was content smoking it. If it wasn't for drug court, I'd probably still be smoking weed. So, And you'll have to excuse my my ignorance. What is drug court? (laughs) Drug court is an amazing program. It saved my life. Um, Drug court is very new to Medicine Hat. I was the second participant in it. There's six of us in it now, so it's very new to all of us. Um, You have to have longer than a year sentence in order to be in it, I do believe. Mm -hmm. It's longer than a year. Yeah, and nonviolent, I believe. Right, right. Um, 
And if you plead guilty to it, you go through these, there's five phases to it. And then after the fifth phase, which I believe the phases are depending on how you're moving up, Mm -hmm. uh, they'll go about two to three months per phase. And then after that, you'll be on probation for about a year. So it's very structured. They definitely give you a lot of stuff to do. And you said it's a wonderful program, obviously, because it worked for you. Yes. Um, Had you heard of drug court before, Amber? Not until I met Ashley. Okay. And I find it super interesting and a very, very well put together program. Ryan, it sounds like you're familiar with it in in Mm. terms of of the program. For sure. Yeah. I I had the opportunity when I was at the Medicine Act College going through the addiction counseling program itself. That's where I did one of my practicums was in Regina at the drug treatment court for three months. So amazing program. So let me ask this question then, and, and this is to all of you. Why are you only able to access this program if it's such a wonderful program? If you have to get, you know, what, what did you convicted for what a, a year term in prison? Is that right? Or longer. Yeah. Or longer. So, so why, why can't anybody become a part of this? I, I, I mean, this is part of the problem when we talk about how the system has failed so many. It is. And it isn't. I think it's, it's a step forward in the justice part of the, the system, I think. Cause it's a collaboration between the justice department and then community treatment, uh, community partners, this and that. Right. So their goal is to cut down on, you know, if like, uh, Ashley said, right. You can go spend time in remand and spend months in there and not get any support. Right. You'd talk to a counselor once in a while, but you can't go to treatment or anything. So if you have a nonviolent crime and it's drug related, you can apply for drug treatment court. If you fill out all the in my experience, anyway, you fill out the questionnaires, you fill out all the screening tools and you're ready to look at your problems and change. It's not a get out of jail free card. Cause I know when I was in Regina, I bet one out of five people that, that were accepted into drug treatment court, one out of five stayed. The other four stayed for a couple of weeks. And they're like, holy shit, this is way harder than doing time in jail. I'm going back to jail. And they wouldn't stick around because it's a lot of hard personal work and it's recovery focused right yeah they have to put in a ton of work and i can't speak to it ashley probably can better but it is like trauma-based therapy like they have to be part of the food first program here like Mm -hmm. it is all encompassing towards their mental health getting them on track they like they they are busy 24 7 for sure but that's needed that's the kind of program that we need and i think ashley i mean your living experience of that um so you went from weed to cocaine, meth. How long ago was this? And what were you doing previous to this? What were you doing before you started down this road? I Are any of you familiar with Tower States? Yeah. I mm-hmm. grew up in Tower States, so okay. it was kind of like distance from the city. We had to walk in. Like, I had my clicker friends there. That's where I got int- introduced to weed and, I guess, drinking, too, but yeah. I'm not much of a drinker through my older age. Um, So I just hung out with the wrong crowd and that's where we started to party at a young age. I was probably 11 or 12. That's, that's when you started smoking grass and and drinking. And again, I'm, I'm seeing the nods and we've heard quite a few stories is that it starts very, very young. Uh, Amber, this was very similar for you. Yeah. Yeah. I was 12. Wow. So very similar. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Uh, dabbled with alcohol when I was 12, 13, really started drinking at 14 and then yeah. into the drugs by 16, 17. And yeah. You know, and likewise, I was probably 11 or 12 when I had my first beer. Here's the crazy part. I had my very first beer with my father and my grandfather. Yeah. 
you know, and they were the ones who, who gave me the damn thing. Yeah. You know, and I think that's something that I still struggle with For sure. after all of these years later. So Ashley, so this all started literally in, in your own backyard. Well, not literally, but you know, the people that you surrounded yourself with. Yeah. You said you're old. You're not old, by the way. I wanted to go back <laughs> to that. So, I mean, so you were 11 or 12. Yes. And, you know, before that, I I feel like I had a really good growing, a really good childhood. So, mm-hmm. like, it wasn't based on trauma sure. or anything like that. It was just the people that I hung out with. Yeah. Uh, so what happened after 11 or 12? What happened as you continued to get older? Did any of your habits change? Did they get worse? Did you start hanging out with more people that had qualities like that? Um, yes, that was definitely something I surrounded myself with was other people that were into my interests, obviously. And it's not necessarily, and you said you, you had a really good childhood, you know, you had a a good upbringing. And I I think it's once again, a testament to the fact that you don't necessarily need to have demons. You know, you don't necessarily need to be carrying around this hidden weight for, in this case, you know, whether it's addiction or anxiety or gambling or any kind of mental health issue, you know, it, it doesn't discriminate and it does affect everybody. Right. And you were doing it because you thought it was fun at the time. And, and it, and it probably cool, was. Yeah. yeah. And to be cool, right. To, to be in. Yeah. So this continues until when, into your teens, into your twenties. This is literally my first year that I've been sober off of any, like everything. That's so awesome. yeah. Wow. Great. Wow. Yeah. Is it the most difficult thing that you've ever done in your life? No, no. Um, quitting the weed. Okay, so I got into drug court, I do believe, the middle of March 2021. <laughs> and I quit smoking weed February 2nd, 2021. So I'd quit with intentions on having my first drug test come back negative. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen like that. It took quite a while for it to come out of my system. But And even too, February 8th last year, um, my son's dad had passed away. And I did go and I had a couple drinks with some people. And like I said, alcohol is not a problem for me. And I very well could have smoked weed or did whatever I wanted to because I wasn't in a program. Like I wasn't in drug court yet. And I didn't. So I feel like that was kind of challenge accepted. And that's why I kind of went in the readings at NA when they say alcohol causes all addicts to relapse. I kind of have to think. But mind you, I did start smoking that night. Mm -hmm. So that that's that's true i guess but yeah so so why to, to cope with with the news of of your son's father or was it almost like a hey i'm doing good let's celebrate with a left-handed cigarette no i think just an old friend had got a hold of me she was very close to my son's dad too so just spur of the moment kind of thing did you find you had to change your lifestyle not in terms of of, of what you put into your body but in terms of who you hung out with um, I was with a really, really abusive ex-boyfriend when I quit smoking my meth, and he had actually, my saving grace, he had went to jail um, that October. So uh, my lifestyle changed when he left my house. Um, I was already not allowed, not allowed to hang out with anybody, so I had no, no friends that I hung out with then. So I think um, that made a huge difference. Um, like I did get sober in the house that I'm living in. So it's the reminders are always there. It's just something that I never want to go back to. So. And 
and I know Ryan and, and Amber, uh, you've also had to cut people out of your lives. Yeah, I'm very, I'm actually very rigid around the people I allow into my life and the people I allow around my children. Were you always like that or, or, or was it until you changed your habits until you, you decided? You wanted yeah. To get when, clean? when I stopped using, I definitely, I don't associate with people. It's funny. My mom, my mom started using two after years of sobriety of just associating in the wrong group of people. And ultimately it led to her death. And like, so I'm very rigid. I don't, if I know you're using, you're just not going to be part of my circle. And if you choose to stop, then welcome you back in. But yeah. And like when you said, even your parents like drinking with you, like I always look back and, and my husband thinks he's like, man, you act like our kids are fucking going to go to jail and do all these (laughs) horrible things. But like our life experience was very different. And I, I very clearly see that like the people I was around impacted where I ended up, the people I associated, the people other people let me associate with. So like when it comes to my children, I'm very picky at like who comes to our house, who stays in our house. You know, what are your actions? Like you have to earn my trust before you're you're an open door into my life, to my kids life and to into our relationships as a whole. Yeah, my husband thinks I'm kind of nuts sometimes, but I'm like, no, like <laughs> this. This is what you need to do. Yeah, because I've seen, I have, I've just seen it all unravel by allowing, allowing less than great people into my life every day. You know, and when we're young, we think it's fun, right, to have a beer when we're eleven or twelve. Ashley, yeah. you said it best, right? I mean, it was just the cool thing to do. You're hanging out with your friends, and I, I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize it through my teens, through my twenties, through my thirties. That having that beer when I was eleven or twelve, that would impact every single yeah. day from there on in, and it's and it still does. Yeah, you know, it still does, and it's still a battle that. I'm, I'm continuing to fight. So Ashley, what was the low point for you? Like, what was the lowest of the low? When did you decide that you needed to get sober? Um, I was just, I don't know, like, um, a little bit before I did get clean off the meth. Um, I hate to say it, but my kids were around, um, I live right next door to my grandma, so they were constantly running back and forth. And I just was sick and tired of the lifestyle, sick and tired of not having any food in the house. And that was the one time I did have a house for probably the longest time of my meth use. Other than that, I was homeless a couple of times. I don't know. So, so, so meth financially drained everything that you had. I lost everything mm-hmm. I had and twice, three times. So how does that happen? Are you so addicted to... You know, I, I mean, meth is so incredibly addictive. That becomes your priority. Nothing else matters. Oh, one track mind for sure. Yeah. 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 Did your kids know? Did your grandmother know what was going on in your life? Everybody knew. The Like, they just didn't see a pipe in my mouth. Yeah. My kids knew what I was doing in the bathroom. They knew I was doing drugs. They just didn't know. And they know that it's meth. I actually had the drug talk with them, my 10-year-old twins, the other day. And I said... You think it's cool when you start off smoking weed and yeah, it's a good time, but then this is what happens. And then you got to do other drugs because you're not getting high anymore. And the only reason I had that talk with them so (laughs) early in life is because they've seen it their whole lives. Um, I was too late having that talk with my 14 year old, but, um, 
I think that every parent should have that talk with their kids when the time is right and make sure you tell them that it is a good time and you eventually stop getting high off this. So you move to other drugs and it drains your bank account and you lose your kids and you lose your home and you lose your family members. Well, and one of the things I always hear when I hear you say that is, you know, I remember hearing that when I was younger too. And a lot of individuals that I talk to nowadays, they have that same mindset that I had back then that, oh, well, that won't happen to me. That happens to other people. I'll never let it get that far. Or It'll never get that bad. And I always said I'd never smoke meth. Right. And suddenly we're here and we're like, holy shit, how'd we get here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And two, everybody just says, don't, don't get drunk. You're sick in the morning. Nobody ever tells the younger generation that you do have a good time doing it. Of course, it's mm-hmm. a good time because they're going to get drunk for the first time and realize this isn't so bad. Yeah. And then they're going to want to do it. You got to tell them the truth about it, I think. So they knew it was the elephant in the room. Yes. And I think that's incredibly common in a lot of situations where friends and family know, mm-hmm. but nothing is, is done about it. If something was, if you, if, and again, this is, I pose this to all three of you, if you think those hard conversations would have happened because it's a stigma, especially around mental health, you don't talk about shit. If you're not feeling good, you don't talk about it. You break an arm. Hell, you talk about that. <laughs> Right. That's no problem. But I, I mean, there's still all kinds of mental injuries that you can't see. They just express themselves differently. Right. But mind you, my family never did hard drugs. So like they smoked the weed, like really what person doesn't if they're allowed. <laughs> but yeah, you know, they, they, you don't understand what to say about it or what it does if you don't do it. So. So. Go ahead, Amber. It looks like you had something to say. I think I was, but I might have forgot what I was saying anyway. <laughs> but I'm just trying to think here. Okay. You do when you don't understand it or people don't understand it. I think that was very similar to my house is they don't, they have no idea how to deal with it. There's just such a lack of education around what to do. And then I think also like, then there's the big shame and guilt mm-hmm. and all the other things that come with it. Like, I don't want my family to know that so-and-so is a user and you start closeting other people's problems too, right? And you create like those codependent issues. And and instead of opening up to those that you love, which is what we should be doing, we're doing the opposite. We do the exact opposite. We just hide it and shell it up. And that still happens, I'm sure, a lot today. Yeah. Is that something that you had to struggle with, Ashley? I smoked meth for about six years. Um, And I believe when I, I believe when I was doing coke that my family didn't know about it uh I had my family I I was yeah I had my life together when I was doing coke so that's not what made me lose everything in life but my family could only take so much and I believe other people's family can too like eventually they want nothing to do with you and I was at that point um yeah I just started gaining my relationships back with my family when I did quit smoking meth so I think that's one of the trademarks that we hear all the time, right? And it's it's one of the check boxes in the DSM five is um, when you, when full blown addiction substance use disorder sets in, right? It's your continued use despite all negative consequences, whether it's family leaving, whether it's you bankruptcy, whether it's your children being apprehended, whatever it is, right? And it's not we know it's wrong. I knew I knew it was wrong back then, but there was that compulsion and obsession to keep using, and that's the whole part around the brain, right? It's that's addiction. That's what oh, addiction is, isn't it? It's so wild. You like, can't help yourself. I mean, you said it, but you know, it's wrong. You know, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, it's not good for you. You, you, you know, it's not healthy for those around you. Mm-hmm. 
But if you're an addict, you don't give a shit. Yeah. The choice is gone. Long yeah. time ago. Yeah. 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 You know, sure. It's an obsession to use. Obsession. Go to bed hoping that tomorrow will feel different and wake yeah. up. It's like Groundhog Day. Right now. back on the wagon <laughs> yeah. and crack it on. You know? yeah. And you tell yourself, you tell yourself, today's going to be the last day. I'm yeah. not going to do it. I'm going to get sober. And then what do you do? Four hours later, you're right back to, to square one. For sure. And I think that's, sorry to interrupt, Poncho. Yeah, I think fine. that's the part that gets mis, the misconception out there is, you know, it's a moral failure and, and we're weak people because we can't say no and we can't do these things. But it's not a moral failure. It's, we know it's wrong in the back of our mind. And that's where that guilt and shame starts piling up. But without, in my experience, without help and being ready for help, you know, we can have the best intentions. Today's the day I'm not going to use today. And five minutes later, I'm using. Yeah. Right. And and that just continuously repeats itself and consequences get worse. And even we end up in jail or we end up suicidal or whatever that looks like. Right. And I told myself I was going <clears> to <throat> smoke meth for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, really? Yeah. Okay. When did you had you already lost your house? And, yeah. And, and you were and and you told yourself because you thought you wanted to, or just because you thought that there was no way you were going to be able to get sober. My thing was was I lost my kids, obviously, and um, that my kids are my world. So like, I kept dealing with child services, and I wasn't getting my kids back. I thought I had them tricked, but then it'd come back on me. And so, so how did that happen? How did you lose your kids? How did you lose your house? I get it. We, we know we know it had a lot to do with drugs and meth. But how does it come? How does it come to that point? So me and my twins dad had broken up. We were together for seven years, and um, I just cried for like two, three months. And I, of course, I wanted to die, and I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't live without him. I was so codependent and all that, and then. Again, a friend called, well, this guy called me and we ended up hanging out and he came over, he stayed over for about a week. He was smoking his meth, offered it to me and I kept saying no. And then finally I'm like, yeah, let me try that. Stopped crying. I felt mm -hmm. fucking awesome. And then, yeah, I was doomed after that. That's um, all it took was one time. And nobody tells you that when they're passing you the pipe for the first time. Yeah. And then actually, I, so, so then I started smoking meth and then, um, I still was getting my kids because it was just a breakup then. And then I eventually lost them because once you do smoke so much meth, you visibly show it. Child services was the one that told me I was smoking meth because of how bad my face looked. Um, so how did child and family services find out? Um, I don't remember. It's obviously... Somebody said something yeah. to somebody. Yeah. Were you angry when somebody said something to somebody? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was already angry then, too. So that just added extra. So now you've lost your home. Actually, no, I still had my house. I had my house for about two years after I had to uh, move my kids' stuff out, which was one of the hardest things that I've ever yeah. done. Um, I lost that place because I let everybody live with me. I had this big four-bedroom place. I was on assistance, so my rent was getting paid, everything. All these other homeless people needed a place to stay. So that's how I basically got free dope for the first two, three years, and then I sold it. So I've never really paid for it. Right. So that's how you made your money. Yeah, and then I lost, as bad as it sounds, I still didn't pay a rent. Yeah. I lost my place because we trashed it. Yeah. Like holes in the wall, holes in the floor. Yeah. Just didn't care. I thought it was a good time. Yeah, definitely a... Fucking crack shack house. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
so after this, uh, quote, good time, what happened then? Um, shit, that was a long time ago. You know? I don't remember where I went after that. I wasn't homeless then. I went somewhere else. I think I ended up staying with people. And then I've always basically had a boyfriend, so stayed with them, found places to stay. Were you scared when you were homeless? I, I mean, were, were you worried about your kids? Or did none of that matter because of meth? You know what hurts my heart the most is my kids went to school right next door to, like they went to St. Louis and I lived in the townhouse right next, or the duplex right next door. And I didn't even think about my kids yeah. at all. Them probably... Being at school, looking over. Wow. Yeah, no, I never thought of that at all. It's just, you just become careless. Mm -hmm. It's really the saddest thing in the world, substance use. That's full-blown addiction right there. Yeah, right? and then my twins and my oldest son, they got separated. So, like, nobody, I never once thought about when I broke up with my kid's dad or when he dumped me, whatever, that our kids would be separated. And I wouldn't have them. I just assumed that they would go to me because I was the mom. Yeah. 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 And you just wanted your next fix. That yeah. was, that's all that, that's all that mattered to you. Yeah. Not even your kids. No. And you and, and you know what? And, and sorry, the story you're telling, first of all, thank you for having the courage to, to speak about this. You, you know, we talk about how it takes courage to be a loner. You know, you're strong. You don't need help. That's bullshit. It takes courage to talk about your story and actually being here today and, and talking about it, whether you know it or whether you don't, the amount of people that you are inspiring right now is absolutely phenomenal. So you are an incredibly, an incredibly strong woman. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. I have a few more questions for you. Is, is that okay? Yeah. What was the turning point? How, how did it happen? When did you realize that, that you needed to get sober. Was it the intervention? Was it drug court? Was it by accident that you got sober? When I think, if I can just j jump in here, drug treatment court, through my experience, is an option, right? You're not sentenced to drug treatment court. You don't have to go there. Right. So what made you decide, man, this is, <laughs> this is time that I look at yeah. my shit, I become accountable, yeah. and the honesty piece, how did you end up in drug treatment court? When I got busted, I had $3,700 in my wallet, a bunch of dope. I... It was kind of um, the the person that was calling me for the dope. I didn't have the dope weighed out because I, I felt it. I knew something was up. I seen the cops. Fuck. I was I was trying to leave when they swarmed in on me, to be honest. But um, um yeah, I had thirty seven hundred dollars in my pocket and uh, the cops kept half of it between those two cops. They split that fifteen hundred bucks. And then, or however much it was, sorry, I'm bad at math. And then in my disclosure, it said I had 1175 and then the dope, of course. I said, I'm not fucking pleading guilty to that. I'm taking it to trial because I wanted a shot at getting my money back. Mm -hmm. Finally, one day that I'm like, fuck it. I'm done with that <laughs> so life. So it was about the money. You just wanted <laughs> the money. <laughs> that's, so funny. that's dirty money. I don't want it. And that's what made me finally plead guilty. Actually, my lawyer, he didn't bug me, but he was telling me about drug court for about three or four months before I finally said, I can keep the money. I'll plead guilty. And like I said, it's the best thing I ever did. Is that when you realized that you had to get, you had to get sober? Well, see, like I said, I didn't really have a problem with smoking the weed. 
And uh, like I haven't smoked meth for about a year before I got into drug court. So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess I I couldn't smoke weed being in drug court. <laughs> I tried to get my lawyer to advocate for the weed for my anxiety, but <laughs> I didn't need it. Um, where are your kids now? Are you able to see them? Yes, actually, before I got into drug court, uh, I had intentions on taking my son's dad to court or the twins dad to court for part-time custody. And once I got into drug court and I even said, if I ever had my kids while I was in drug court, I wouldn't be able to do it. Ever since I've been in drug court, I've had my kids back part-time. So they do stay with me a week on a week off. They go back to their stepmoms. Dad works out of town. So what's the relationship that you have with your kids now? What's the biggest thing that changed between then and now? Uh, with the twins, it's really different with my teenager. He lives with my mom still, actually. Uh, he'll probably never live with me again. He's 14. The next place he moves is going to be out with his friends. And he is going down a wrong path, so I don't think I could have that in my house right now. Um, but with the twins, it's like I actually spend time with them. I play with them. I sit down and watch movies with them before I wouldn't do any of that. Like the first summer that I quit smoking meth was the best summer of my life. We were at Equidale every day. Last summer was good too. Like it's definitely I'm different and they see it and yeah. They see it. So leading by example, I think that's one of the, the biggest things we can do to reinforce a positive and, and healthy relationship with our friends and our family. And hearing you talk about, you know, spending time at, at Echo Dale and seeing that smile come across your face and seeing your eyes light up. I mean, that right there speaks volumes. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And I think just listening to your story, Ashley is, you know, we talk about this all the time, how drugs and alcohol weren't really our problem. It was, you know, our, our coping mechanism for the longest time. Right. So you saying that, you know, you quit smoking meth, you, you didn't think you had a problem with weed. Um, all these things, right? Drug treatment court, in my opinion, just listening to your stories helped you address all the underlying things that, you know, came with the addiction. You said it wasn't trauma-based. It wasn't this or that. But in my experience, we don't really know how to live. We've been using and drinking and coping for so long that we don't really know how to live underneath, hmm. you know, all the all the poor coping mechanisms we've developed. We haven't had time to grow as as functioning members of society and this and that, right? Cause we're always fucked up and, uh, listen, you know, early on Poncho, you said like, tell, what's the drug treatment court? Tell me about that. And I think this is what it is. It's like taking somebody who doesn't know how to live in society. Um, and this isn't specifically to you. It's everybody in my experience. Right. And I, I was only a few, a few days probably from getting arrested myself. Yeah. But it's, uh, it helps people with, you know, the addiction piece through treatment. It helps them with the, justice system through case management, this and that, right? Working on your charges. It helps you with therapy. It helps you with all these other things while you're in there. And it's that whole accountability and honesty piece. Cause up until we go to drug treatment court or are ready to be accountable and honest and reach out for help, we're just spinning our wheels out there wishing that today's the day I'm going to get in recovery, but it never happens. Right. <laughs> Had you yeah. tried other means of, did I cut you off? I'm yeah. I again, that's okay. again, you know what? Just that's, you just cut me right off. Okay. <laughs> I just had a question. I've met a couple, a couple people at a drug court here in the last little bit. And it's, 
and they all kind of said some had the same opinion. Like I started because I wanted to avoid a jail sentence and I went, you know, at the beginning, I just tried checking the boxes. So, Mm. um, but drug court very quickly said, man, you're, you're checking boxes. You're not putting any work in. And if you don't start putting work in, like you have to go and we'll kick you out of our program and off to jail, you go. And, and I know one gentleman said that like, when he stopped checking the boxes and stopped put, started putting the work in, he said his life has never been the same. Yeah. And do you feel like when you started, you were just checking boxes? Definitely. Like, of course, at the beginning of the program, we all want to see what we can get away with and we want to rush through it because we think that, oh, a year to 15 months, we could be done in a yeah. year. Well, first of all, it's you're going to get I was sentenced to 18 months in jail, so I'm going to get my 18 month sentence out of this regardless on how fast I check those boxes or how much I put into it. But yeah, no, it is definitely what they do is for a reason. And it's turned out to be awesome. Like I remember two months into the program, I think I had to go to my first treatment and then they told me I had to go to a second treatment. Oh, I was so mad (laughs) and I was clean. I'm like, why do I, I don't need to go to treatment. I'm good. It was treatment was one of the, my favorite things in recovery. Just the people I met in there was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that, you can check those boxes as quick as you want. There's still another month and a half to two months left of that phase. So you may as well just. <laughs> and they're going to find out one way or the other. Well, they're the ones that got to check them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they like, see your growth. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that and that goes back, I think, to reaffirm what we talk about when we say, like, maybe the drugs and alcohol aren't the problem. Because you said you've been clean for how long and they want you to go back to treatment again, right? And I know when I went back to treatment the second time, First time I checked boxes, lasted six months, and then I was down that rabbit hole of addiction again. Um, it was when I started putting the real work in. Stop checking the boxes. I'm here. I've paid for this. I may as well do the work and see what the outcome is. And that sounds like what you've been doing is when you stop checking boxes and started looking deep inside and doing the work, things start to change. Yeah. Well, I went to treatment four times in my life. I was supposed to go three times in my addiction, and I didn't go the third time. But going to treatment... Because somebody is making you and going to treatment when you're clean for you got a little bit of clean time makes a huge difference on the impact of what they're trying to show you and teach you and get you to to work on with yourself. You know, and there isn't necessarily a a cure for addiction, is there? I mean, it's something that we manage. And is this one of the reasons why some of us go to second treatment or third treatment as a, as a refresher, as a reminder, just to reinstill those, those values that you've learned to, to help keep you sober and straight. Is that one of the reasons why that happens, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether it's treatment, whether it's continuous therapy, whether it's seeing a counselor, you know, it was explained to me early on when I got into this addictions counseling world, right? Um, I was supporting people at meetings all the time, two, three times a week, taking people to their first meetings, second meetings, whatever that was. Right. And early on, I thought, man, I'm killing it. I'm going to so many meetings. And, and it was explained to me by another member of a 12 step group that I really appreciate. Dude, that's not your recovery. You're supporting someone else, right? You're not doing the work for your own recovery. So what are you going to do for yourself? Hmm. And I started looking at that piece and that's when I continued therapy. And that's when I started going to meetings on my own outside of those meetings, I was supporting people. And I've recently talked to a few people that have been doing something similar to what we've been doing early, early in recovery, helping other people, right? But not doing stuff for their own recovery, really putting it out there to help other people, but not doing the work themselves. 
And I've just recently realized and, and found out that these people have been using for the last two months because they don't have a recovery program. They don't have the motivation to work on themselves. If I work on someone else, I'm doing okay. Right. And, uh, hmm. they've relapsed and, and are back out there using again. And yeah, it all comes down I, to that personal work, I think. I, yeah, I think you see that quite a bit when people come out of active addiction is like you get this will to want to help others and you don't have enough in your tool belt. Yeah. Like you really have to be selfishly with yourself and grow as an individual. Yeah. Like, and addiction is a lifelong, I think a lifelong commitment. It is. I, man, I go to therapy all the time. I love that <laughs> shit. Sometimes I just want to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we all, yeah, we all do. Totally. And yeah. I think that goes like what you just said, Amber. I think that goes back to what I was saying. It's okay to help other people early in recovery. That's step 12 in a 12 step program, right? Is help the next person who's struggling, Yeah. but you can't forget yourself and you can't forget to do the work on yourself, right? Yeah. It's okay to go out and help other people, but if you're not filling your own cup, eventually things are going to go sideways. Yeah. You can put yourself at risk. Absolutely. If, because you don't have enough time under your belt or enough, <clears throat> enough of your own. Yeah, individual self in a good space of recovery and for work sure. through a lot of things. And, 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 you know, like for Ashley too, I think is you don't have to grow up in trauma, but I think in active addiction, we end up taking on a ton of trauma too. So we might totally. have it before or after, and all those things have to get worked through as well. And I think, yeah, <laughs> incredibly insightful. Yeah. Yeah. It's complex. It's not just a matter of I'm done using today. Yeah. And things surface all the time, man. You get older, you remember things from your past, you got to work on them. Like things will always surface. It's always just. It's always a part of you, whether you recall it today or yesterday yeah. or, or three years from now. Yeah. So Ryan, for you, it was the 12 step program. Yeah. That was part of it. That was part of it. Yeah. Amber, what was it for you? What, you know, what helped you? Well, I think I just had a willingness to not, at the time I didn't have a recovery program. I just sure. had a will to not use and I had a will to, I had willed myself out of not wanting to die either. And I, I wanted to live a different life and I chose to make that. But now I live an abstinence-based life, which I think is, is amazing. I don't, I don't have a desire to alter my brain in any way, shape or form by anything um, and leave a clear mind. And now I do, I go to meetings and I've been working through like all the steps of recovery, which I think is super cool. And I'm, yeah. I'm years past my active addiction, which is interesting. That's so yeah. cool to hear. Yeah. And I know we've, so cool. we've talked about that, right? You, you asked me a while ago, should I do the 12 steps? And I'm like, yeah, you should for sure. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long it's been since you've used drugs. Like yeah. it's a life program now. And it, it has taught me so many things over the last seven years of, of recovery. And I do a set of steps yearly and it just opens up more doors in my life. I'm like, wow, this is just a growth program now. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And reading through them, I was like, wow, I can see how this would have been helpful a long time ago. <laughs> and it teaches you about other people too, I find. Okay. Yeah. That's well, what I always talk about. Like the steps help me save my life and the traditions help me from taking your life. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it deals, it shows me how to deal with society in yeah. general. What I find very interesting about all of this is that you all have similar yet different means of, of living a clean life, you know? And, and again, I think we need to stress that what works for you might not work for you, might not work for you. At the same time, I think there's a lot of common denominators in whatever course you take to get healthy. And I think a big part of that is you have to love yourself first. 
Was that one of the hardest things that you had to learn, Ashley? Holy fuck. I used to hate it when child services told me I had to love myself before I get my kids back. Right. Should I leave? Am I getting you angry? I mean, should I be scared? I am 100%. I love myself and I love my life today. Um, I think a lot of that comes from being open-minded and just being willing to do the things that I need to do to feel that way. Yeah. Was so, and again, to all three of you, were those some of the hardest things, some of the hardest life lessons that you had to learn? Number one, to be open-minded. Number two, to love yourself. Love Absolutely. yourself. I think the hardest. I, I think Rick nails that when Rick speaks about that, right? He, he had so many people tell him at the start of his recovery that you got to learn to love yourself. He's like, that's great. You're the fifth person who's told me that. How <laughs> the fuck do I do that? <laughs> who's going to tell me how to do it now? Yeah. And that's the piece we all got to figure out. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, for me, that's what the 12 step program helped me that open-mindedness, that honesty, that willingness and be accountable for my life. I can't walk around being the victim any longer. I got to be accountable on mm. my shit. And then, you know, once yeah. I started to clear that plate off and own my own side of the street, things started to get a lot clearer in my mind. And I started to figure out who I was. Because up until then, I was living, I've spoke about this lots, I was living on values that were instilled when I was a little kid, right? I need to do this to be successful. I, need to, I didn't really know what I liked myself. It was interesting. You said we have to stop playing the role of the victim. And I think that's one of the first things that you need to do Maybe not one of the first things. That's something that you need to do before you can love yourself. Yeah. Right. You start, you need to start, stop blaming everybody else and take accountability yeah. for your shit. I get it. We're all influenced by our environment, but at the end of the day, I mean, was anybody holding a, a, a pipe to your mouth? No. <laughs> if anything, it was me selling the dope to everybody yeah, else. For sure. Yeah. Well, you I love, you, you love yourself now. I do. How did, that, how did that come about? I've made a huge amends to myself and to um, the people mm. that I've hurt. And I have a ton of gratitude and appreciation for, like, I even, I'll be sitting on my couch and I'll just have this big smile. Like, I have so much gratitude for everything. Like, even the simplest thing is getting my bills paid. Um, my money situation isn't the best, but it's manageable. Like, just, I feel like the gratitude that I've, let myself have this last year, even two years has made a huge difference on the way that I look at life. Gratitude. I love that you've brought that up. I, I don't know if I've ever really put a lot of thought in to gratitude, but you're so right. It's, it's being grateful for the things that we do have, isn't it? it yeah. It's not necessarily being ungrateful for the things that we don't have. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we're always looking around us. How can we make our life better? And, and if we think about it, we have a great life. Right. I mean, so we need to be grateful uh, for the things that we have. I'm really happy that you brought that up, Ashley. Thank you. One of the things I haven't asked you. What brings you here today? What made you want to come in here, sit down and share your story? See, no, I don't know if I always knew I was going to be an addict, <laughs> but you know, when you were in high school and the addicts would, the recovering addicts would come in and tell, tell the school their story. I'm like, man, I, I want to be a mentor. I want to do that. So I must've had it in my brain <laughs> that I was just going to fuck my life up. <laughs> right from oh, so it was even before you got clean. That yeah. was your goal when you were 11 years old. We even they talked about it in jail. <laughs> There you are, yeah, burning oh some nor yeah, burning some northern lights when you're 11, going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to yeah. get myself into a big, awful hole here. 
Yeah. It was funny, though. A um, couple months ago, Ryan had brought it up to me in a meeting. Uh, he asked if I ever heard of our collective journey, and I'm like, no. And then I figured I'd check it out, and I'd met Amber through my cooking class at the Root Cellar, and she'd mentioned it, too. So, you know, I believe the universe works with you in amazing ways, um, and it was being thrown out there at me. Figured it would be super cool. You're taking a cooking class, Amber. You're taking a cooking class. That's how you meant. I didn't realize that you were doing that. Now, no, sorry. I teach the budgeting workshop for the Food First program with the root seller. Shit, you teach the cooking class. No, I teach the budgeting oh. finances. All right. Yeah. But you need to be able to budget in order to cook. But they feed me every time I go. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get but, uh, to have lunch with them. Where's my invite? How come we've never been invited to this, Pancho? Yeah, how come? I, so... So is that why you got involved or did you get involved? Or I imagine there's several reasons. And again, Ashley, this is for you as well. As we try to change our lives, as we try to make our lives more positive, we have to swap out the bad habits for the good habits. We need to fill that space with something. I don't know about you, but if I'm not active and I'm left alone with my thoughts, <laughs> I am my own worst enemy. That's a scary place. It to is. Be. It is. And it's not going to take long. Before I'm down on the corner looking for an eight ball. Yeah. You Times know, for me are a lot different now because I'd love to book a day to relax. Yeah. <laughs> but that was my first relapses excuse was boredom. Yeah. So but I do agree, though, you have to be busy. And I think that's why I'd like to book a day for a relax. But what has Amber taught you to cook, by the way? No, she's just no, not no, the budget. No, 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 just the budget, just the budget. <laughs> just the budget. Actually, that was a good class. I didn't think I'd get anything out of it because I don't have money to budget, but I did learn something from that class for sure. I have yeah, a, I know this is a little off topic. I have a budget app and I would be absolutely <laughs> lost without it. Me too, buddy. Me too. I started one late last yeah. year. I need yes. one. So are you for personal high? I mean, it sounds like yes. Ryan and I still need your help here. Yeah. <laughs> Call me any day. <laughs> any day. Excellent. It's my jam. So is that is that one of the reasons why you did it? Is that one of the reasons why you wanted to teach in the public? You know, the the food bank asked me a couple of years ago. This is my third year teaching with them. And I've always wanted to give back to the community. So when they asked, like, I have a good relationship with a few of the people over there, I just jumped on board. and. I've been fortunate. It's it's a wonderful program. Everybody I meet in there is fantastic, and I'll give them all my time all day. That is definitely something that is important to me and in who I am today is just trying to give back and being a good community supporter, for sure. And people need, lots of people need help, and they need help in always in shapes and form. And you kind of meet everybody yeah. and on a different playing field in those situations, too, like She's in drug court and didn't know anything about drug court. Now I was like, man, I love drug court. This sounds awesome. That's sweet. So I don't know. You just, I like meeting people and hearing their stories and helping. And yeah, that's a big, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. So, yeah. so. And I'll never quit that for Again, sure. so you needed to find something to, to fill that void. Yeah. I don't know if it fills the void or I just love doing it. Like, I, I guess probably because I do like to stay busy and I'm yeah. at the gym and sure. I, I run rampant. Yeah. Until night. Yeah. Probably. Ashley, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that that we haven't brought up? Is, do you have any questions? Do you have any life advice that you want to get out there? Do you have a mantra that helps you stay 
on the straight and narrow, are you going to get more tattoos? Oh, yeah. (laughs) 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 Drug court just got me a printer (laughs) for my fishbowl. So now I, when I'm done drug court, (laughs) I can trace some pictures that I print. (laughs) Sweet. No, um, I don't know. Just remember, I don't know. Um, just appreciate the little things in life. And actually, I even have that tattoo on me. And remember what you're worth because it, life's too short mm. and it takes seconds to lose it all and your whole life to build it. So, I, you know what? Very powerful. Remember what you're worth. I'm writing that down. I and really, two, I really like that. Something that's helped me is whatever I was doing before was not working. So <laughs> don't be scared to try something new. Well, and that's something that we've talked about several times is that what works for you wouldn't work for you, Amber, potentially not work for For you, for you, Ryan. Uh, Is there anything that you two wanted to ask or talk about? Uh, No, I just wanted to touch on what Ashley said about the gratitude thing is people, I really liked that you said that because I think we all have are guilty of trying to chase our future and live in our past. Mm -hmm. And I think gratitude is exactly what that is, is waking up every day and reminding ourselves of the things that we have that are here in the present in the now. And it's a really great philosophy to live on. Yeah, I, one of the things I do, and I, I do this religiously, I, I wake up, which, okay, not that. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I wake up every morning, uh, but I look in the mirror and, and I look at myself and I go, you got to make today a great day. You got to be the best that you can be. And sometimes I fall incredibly short of that. And other days, it's not a bad day. But for me, I think that's what helps motivate me. That that's what makes me want to to give back in whatever mm-hmm. way I can. I I like that you that you brought that up. Gratitude, Ashley. Wow, so incredibly important. I I, I can't believe that slipped my mind. Wow, not even slipped my mind. It didn't even occur to me. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> wow, Ryan. Anything that you wanted to add, ask? Uh, I think the gratitude piece for me and living in the moment, I think it's hard to be grateful if you're not living in the present moment. You need to be aware. For sure. And I had an old timer tell me once, and it, it, you always hear these these uh, statements in meeting rooms and in, around in the recovery world. And, and this old timer told me once that if you have one foot in tomorrow and one foot in yesterday, you just end up pissing all over today. And you know what? That that made so much sense to me. I'm like, how are you going to focus on today if you're thinking about tomorrow and you're regretting yesterday? And so, yeah, that's something I work on all the time too, is just trying to focus on today. And and I've realized over the last number of years that the stuff that I do today and I'm present working on myself, doing things today, that sets me up for a good tomorrow, right? And and that's the part that I really focus on now is doing the best I can today because that's all I can control is today and, and the moment to moment pieces that come my way. And and that makes me want to ask another question is that I think we all hear that we have to live in the now we have to live in the present, but I wonder how many of us actually do because we think about our past, Mm -hmm. we carry it around. It's, it's a part of us, you know, and we all have demons and we all struggle and we all suffer. And because we're our own worst enemy, I think we have a really hard time letting that go. Yeah. But you need to. And then likewise, you can't worry about the future because you don't know what you have to worry about it somewhat. Right. But I mean, I think you're right. We need to focus on right now. We need to focus on where we are. And I think that helps us appreciate the little things in life mm-hmm. as well. 
like being able to walk out that door, you know, and feeling that cold wind on your face, you know, or feeling the cold and then getting into a warm car. I mean, that's a great feeling. I, I mean, it's a little thing, mm-hmm. but again, I think it, I, I think it has a lot to do with, with gratitude. Absolutely. And I think for me, Poncho, the, the piece that really helped me live in today you, you mentioned about, you know, we all have a past and we all have these things that we think about and that's undeniable. We're always going to have our past. But when I started doing the self-work and recognizing what pieces of the past I own and being accountable for them, that's what helped me disconnect from those, right? And carry that, you know, you always see the, the meme, the ball and chain to your past, right? That's yeah. what helped cut that. It's always there and I'm always going to be p- part of that past, obviously, um, but I can learn from it. And when I started to learn from it, and take my my responsibility for those pieces that I had a part in and learn from them and not make those same mistakes. That's what helped me grow and be able to be present today and not haunted by my past with that guilt and shame. And did I do a lot of shitty things? Absolutely, I did. Did I own them? Absolutely, I did. And now I can move forward and, and work on not repeating those same mistakes ever again because I know the, the work it takes to become accountable to them and amends to people and all those things, right? I don't want to go out and do them again just to be that guy and say, holy shit, I fucked up again. Yeah. 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 Huge, huge growing moments. Yeah. And that's what a 12 step program has helped me with for sure. And counseling as well. Yeah. Go easy on yourself. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about what's already happened. No. Nope. No, you're Not right. You're right. I, I mean, until they invent a, a time traveling machine, you're, you're right, Ashley. There's nothing we can do about it. However, we have the option to learn from our past. I think that's the only thing that we can take from it. Mm-hmm. To not to learn is to fail. Yeah. For sure. And that goes back, I think, I just want to touch on this. That goes back to that don't be the, you know, stop being the victim piece. Yeah. yeah. When I say that, I don't mean, like, if we were experienced sexual abuse, we expect uh, physical abuse, any types of trauma. Sure, that's, we were a victim of that, right? I'm not talking about that. It goes to that to that saying, it's okay not to be okay. That's great. It is okay not to be okay. It's okay that these things happen to us, but what are we going to do about them now? And that's the victim piece, right? Are we going to stay stuck in that and just keep spinning our wheels for the rest of our lives and, and, and being an active addiction or whatever that looks like, or are we going to start doing some work and become accountable and get out of that victim mentality? Yes, these things happened, but what can we do about them now? Final question. How important is it to put positivity out into the world? (laughs) <laughs> uh, very um i'll i'll do these courses and they'll ask me a question like what are what are your character defects okay i automatically just switch it into what are my strengths <laughs> i'm always flipping good. negative things into positive things good. and that's helped so 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 good <laughs> that's helped so good <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, you're I talking sp- like me in here uh. <laughs> I speak for a living and my grammar is far from the best. So <laughs> you're doing great. You're Thank awesome. You. Uh, how do you feel now? I know you said you were a little nervous. You were a little anxious at the beginning of this. How, how do you feel about yourself now? I feel really good. Drug court is definitely uh, my icebreaker. I love talking about that. So it's very easy for me to do. Um, yeah, I feel good. Thank you guys for having me. You are courageous. You are inspiring. And we are so grateful. We are so thankful. We have all kinds of gratitude for you that you came in here to share your story. Ashley, thank you so much. This has been a true pleasure sitting down with you and for having the courage to tell your story. Thank you, guys. Ryan, thank you so much. Amber, thank you so much. Thank you for being here with us, Pancho. Wonderful to see all you beautiful people. Likewise.
You too, Dave, even though I can't see you. <laughs> and Rob. The wizard. The wizard. Son, <laughs> how many nicknames does this guy have? From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.